Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. The human experience is balancing mind and body. My guest tonight is Mr. Will Johnson. Will, my good sir, welcome to the program. Thank you, Xavier. Good to be here. So I find your work very intriguing. I know that you you went to Princeton and there's, but why don't you tell our audience? I mean, what is your, how did you get into this? What is your background, please? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Uh, You know, the first thing to say right from the beginning, I'm not a body person by birth. I came to uh, all of this through, uh, well, through getting in touch with the fact of how out of touch uh, I was with my feeling presence, with experience. So in my uh, early 20s, uh, yeah, I went to university. I majored in art history. I uh, wrote some art criticism in New York. There wasn't a lot of life in that. I ended up in California. And one of the things that I knew that I needed to do is get back in touch with my body. So I started doing uh, different kinds of uh, Western body therapies. And then I was led to take what I was experiencing uh, from what I was getting from you know those therapies into the Buddhist arena, in a sense applying the uh, you know just basic principles of body to the process of sitting meditation. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of what the journey has been, or how it started out. Certainly, was there was there a point in which you thought, oh, okay, well, this is the direction that I want to go with my life, or any kind of some event that led you towards this or did you always just kind of feel a connection to these eastern philosophies how did you i mean how did you make that decision to write about this yeah uh you know what i would have to say i'd have to go back to my early childhood i did have experiences i wrote about these experiences in a book called uh, the selfish and the sacred mountain where uh from the from an early age i i had what essentially are fairly mystical experiences. I would go to bed at night and uh, I'd go through a very, very physical process of dissolving. And by the you know the time I became aware of what was going on, it felt like I was about as big as the universe. You know what? It was just a childhood experience. I had it a lot, but I parked it. When I uh, you know became older, uh, I got much more into uh, you know academics. I forgot about all this until it never obviously let go. Because uh, even in university, I started reading uh, uh, Eastern religions. Uh, I started uh, you know experimenting with different kinds of Buddhist practices. And suddenly I started rekindling some of those earlier experiences. Now, again, for me, uh, the whole avenue in was through the body. As I said, I was so out of touch with it that actually kindling an awareness of sensation, of physical presence, was uh, you know, quite radical uh, for me. So when you know, this started happening, to put those two strands together, the somatic background with the very, very traditional dharma, it was just simply a natural fit. And I had 
or it came with a feeling of rightness that I knew this is what I had to keep exploring. You know, I, I really like that through your work, you are reconnecting the body. I think that most people may think that meditation is a mind-based activity. Like I'm quieting my thoughts. I'm not really, I mean, usually when I think about meditation, I'm not really thinking about my posture or, I mean, I, I don't initially think, okay, well, I should focus on my posture. It's more right. of, you know, I feel like it should be more of a, a mental thing, but your yeah. work, your work kind of focuses on how to bring the body back into this process, this meditative process. So, I mean, how, how important would you say that this is? Uh, critical. <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm, you know, I'm expressing my bias. But what I'm getting at is that, you know, meditation is often presented as just as you're suggesting an exercise or activity that we engage through our minds. And in truth, the profound practice of putting yourself into a sitting posture and staying in that posture uh, for uh, hours uh, you know, long days even, opening to breath, opening to body, it is extraordinarily transformational. Uh, you know, however, if we don't have some of just these, the basic, the most basic understanding of how to sit in such a way that we're not bracing ourselves, we're not, uh, you know, we're tensing, we're not fighting the process, but can actually relax into it. It, you know, it makes an extraordinary uh, amount of, uh, you know, of difference. Mostly what I've seen when I sit in front of a hall of sitting meditators, most everybody is sitting very rigid, very still, hanging on for dear life. And the common report for those people who are courageous enough to enter into long retreat a week, 10 days, a month, that kind of thing, that uh, a lot of the experience is frankly awful because there's so much pain that comes up uh, you know through the simply through the way they're uh, you know they're sitting so if we can apply some basic and simple principles to our, what, what I call the posture of meditation then meditation has no choice but to begin that process uh, opens and uh, you know we're swept along for the ride you know I feel like my friends are heavy meditators like they're right. the type of people who are just like, oh, I need to go meditate, you know, and it's just, it's just right. a part of their lives and it's integral to what they're doing. So, I mean, how you, in breathing through the whole body, you talk about finding a quiet place. How, I mean, in, in every day, I think I feel like I'm, I'm surrounded by computers. My cell phone is always on me. How important is it to find this quiet place to go into? You know, it really depends ultimately what people want and what people want from uh, exposing themselves to, I guess, what could, you'd call a spiritual process. Look, we can, uh, you know, work within the crazy city life and just stay very, very mindful and make our way through uh, life in a very unquiet place. You know, that, you know, that to me is important. And yet... You know, I often say this, that the Dharma, the Buddhist teachings, it's not fast food therapy. That if people truly want the quality 
of transformation that the Buddha would uh, would imply is both our birthright and our destiny, then it's really, really helpful to remove ourselves at times from the hustle and bustle, from the uh, the noise, uh, you know, to go into retreat. Now, as important as long retreat is, and I do feel this is a very, very important part of this process of transformation for people who are sincere about wanting to experience this, be it uh, seven days, 10 days, 21 days, whatever. Uh, uh, As important as it is to do that, what we're also then going to want to do at the conclusion of that retreat where we've left the noise is to go back into our life and just simply set up a daily practice. And it might just simply be a quiet, quote-unquote, corner in our a home where you know, our children know not to bother us, where we've you know, left our devices out of the room so we're not going to be checking, uh, you know, checking them constantly, and do practices uh, you know, every day. Uh, uh, it, you know, my preference is to get up in the morning. If you have a job, obviously, you get up very early in the morning, and you do practices. Do them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, however long you can take. But this, in a sense, is kind of the formula for people who want to enter into this. Would you say that consistency is is the most important when when practicing meditation? You know, it's certainly important in the uh, beginning so that you establish a... uh, Uh, you know, it becomes more second nature that you get up in the morning and you're going to do sitting practices, you're going to do moving practices, then you're going to go out in your life and, uh, you know, spend your, uh, your day. But, you know, this is, you know, not something, unfortunately, that, you know, it works well to dabble with that either, you you know, you want to start playing, if you start playing with this stuff, you want to go all the way, trungpa, uh, Rinpoche, very, very wonderful uh, Tibetan uh, teacher, one of, one of the early Tibetan teachers that came over here and really understood the West. He he had a, uh, a saying once, he said, oh, the spiritual path, oh, better not go anywhere near it. Oh, you've already started, better go all the way. You know, and it is, it's, uh, you know, it's like that. So certainly, uh, you know, consistency is important. I, you know, I'll share that, you know, for me at this point, if I miss morning practice, I don't do so well, you know, during the rest of the day. It's it's that uh, uh, clear for me uh, how much I do need this. It is a part of your regular everyday routine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you know, Xavier, I I don't know if I consider myself a particularly spiritual person or a noble person or whatever, but I do these practices because they work and they help get me back in touch with that, you know, core dimension that simply feels right. And this, of course, is what people like the Buddha or uh, Sufi teachers like Rumi speak of as when we uh, dissolve back into this fundamental, uh, you know, place of essential nature, you know, that's when life starts working or that's when, you know, we, you know, we feel like, okay, you know, this insanity, this craziness that we call life. Yeah, this is a good wave and I can ride it. Otherwise, for me, if I miss, if you know, if I miss a lot of practice over a number of days for whatever reasons, right, that when I get, you know, back to it, it feels more like I've drowned than uh, I've been riding, uh, riding that wave. So, yeah, consistency is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, in your in your book that you helped write the Forbidden Rumi. Yes, you, you 
you looked at Rumi's most heretical work and you present it for the first time in English. Why, why did you feel like you needed to do that? Yeah, well, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, how that all came about is that in my early 20s, I literally stumbled upon this very, very potent gazing practice where two people will sit down across from each other. Uh, it's eye gazing, look into each other's eyes, hold the gaze, start relaxing and letting go and allowing whatever wants to happen to happen. There's uh, all sorts of different surges that happen in uh, bodily energy, uh, different you know states of mind come you know come up. The visual field can go very unusual, almost hallucinatory, but it is a very very powerful practice. Now later on in my life, I came to understand that that was the practice that the uh, uh, 13th century, uh, you know, mystic uh, poet and originator of the dance, the whirling dervish, Rumi, was doing an intensive retreat with his great friend, uh, friend Sham. So uh, I, I got into Rumi, you know, that way. And then through that, met uh, this fellow Nevid Ergin. Uh, Nevid is in his uh, mid 80s. If anybody's doorstep is the one that we can go to and say, hey, it's because of you that Rumi came to the West. It really is Nevit. He took on the uh, job of translating the whole of Rumi's uh, spontaneously uttered poems uh, into English. And Nevit and I met after I wrote about the gazing practice. And I've gone on and, you know, helped him with, uh, you know, some more of the translation books. Now, Rumi is extraordinarily body-oriented. And what gets very interesting, I mean, this is another you know, fun story to share, uh, you know, with your listeners. Uh, you know, Rumi, uh, his family fred, fled Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, there were, uh, you know, there were, it was an unsafe place to be in. They ended up in Konya, Turkey. Konya was one of those places that everybody got along. There were Christians, there were Jews, there were Muslims. Everybody got along, and it sounds sounds like they not only got along but supported one another. Uh, at Rumi's funeral, there you know there were his Islamic students, but there was a huge Christian community and a huge uh, Jewish community, and they were asked, "What are you doing here?" And the Christians would say, "You know, when we listened to your master speak, we understood the words of Jesus." The Jews would say, "When we hear." his sermons. We know what Moses wants to do. Now, in my case, I honestly feel it was through my exposure to Rumi that I came to understand what the breathing practices of the Buddhists were all about, and especially the practice that culminates, or the instructions that culminate in, as you breathe in, breathe in through the whole body, and as you breathe out, breathe out through the whole body. Uh, Rumi's practices are deeply body-oriented. There was gazing. There was obviously the dervish dancing, uh, eating very, very lightly. And Rumi was a great breather. There is so much uh, in his work that's about breath and about breathing. One wonderful uh, uh, poem of Rumi says that uh, bringing breath to life is the essence of every religion and the cure for every illness. Let every breath you take cleanse the soul of its grief and pain so it can continue to burn brightly inside you. And there was something about that that really, really helped me uh, get 
the dynamism, the coming to life, the really bringing to life, not just an objective observation, a true bringing to life of, you know, essential nature uh, through breath. So, you know, Rumi is, you know, you know definitely uh, a huge supporter uh, for me of mine in this practice, in this mm-hmm. Buddhist practice. Yeah, I mean, so when you... Let's let's rewind a bit and go back to what you just mentioned about breathing through the whole body. How, I mean, what is what does that even mean? Yeah, well, it is. It's it's a very very interesting question. What could that, uh, you, you know, possibly uh, mean? Uh, that statement is the culminating instruction on breathing through one of the most seminal Buddhist texts whose words are ascribed to the historical Buddha, uh, you know, himself. It starts off with just with observation, which is what most of the Buddhist world is involved in. And, you know, simple observation, mindfulness, bringing uh, what we ordinarily aren't aware of to awareness is so very important. But the instructions do not stop there. Uh, they culminate in this statement of breathing through the whole body. Now, every ninth grader who's uh, taken human anatomy now knows that you don't breathe through the whole body. We breathe through our nose and mouth. Oxygen goes in. It goes into the lungs. There's this exchange into the blood. It fuels the cells. There's the the expelling of the uh, gaseous waste products. What is helpful to remind ourselves of is that that knowledge is, frankly, very recently acquired knowledge. And I should uh, be better on the dates. I don't know, is it the 17th century or 18th century where we get people like Lavoisier and Priestley who uh, finally uh, you know, discover through you know, the fledgling uh, science of chemistry what breath is actually about. But for millennia, uh, n- nobody would have said that what we're doing when we're breathing is we're taking an oxygen-expelling uh, uh, you know, gaseous waste. Now, what gets uh, interesting about this? Well, a couple of things. What most Westerners believed from the time of the early Greeks who were contemporaneous with the Buddha was that uh, we breathe to cool the heat of the heart. And this goes all the way through, uh, you know, Western history, even uh, through, uh, you know, Leonardo. And it's fascinating because if you think about that, there's, uh, 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 you can understand where that comes from. Sometimes when you're observing breath, for example, if you're observing breath entering and leaving the body at the nostrils, it feels kind of cool coming in and warmer uh, coming out just as though what it was doing was cooling the heat of the heart and uh, you know keeping things uh, at uh, you know a temperate uh, level. Now, the Buddha comes out of a Hindu uh, background, and you know within the whole you know Hindu you know cosmological system and their uh, their spiritual practices, we know of prana as referring uh, not just to the breath, but to the energetic presence of the body. And for me, it's completely conceivable that the Buddha felt that as he would breathe in, in these ways that were so deeply and profoundly relaxed, what would start happening, he could feel the breath, in a sense, passing through, uh, actually through transmitted motions through the body, through the entire body, and stimulating the awareness of 
uh, the shimmer, the literally sensational uh, presence of the body. What I mean by that, sensations, they're these tiny, minute, pin prick blips of sensation, they, uh, uh, a feeling presence. They exist everywhere on the body. They're oscillating at unimaginably rapid rates of vibratory frequency, and still we can feel it. We can feel it as this, uh, this current, this shimmer. And there's something about this practice uh, of breathing through the whole body that stimulates the awareness of that through the entire body. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I think is, uh, you know, is, is going on so here. So is it, is it more of an awareness that you are just aware of your whole body as well as breathing? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm confused. Oh, yeah, you know, awareness is the first part of it. But ultimately, awareness alone is not enough. What has to happen is uh, a radical, frankly, kind of relaxation or letting go through the whole body. And you know, what I'm getting at is that, you know, look, we can uh, move our awareness through the body, uh, uh, kindling the awareness of sensations, as is done in some of the very powerful uh, Burmese forms of Theravadan practice. And, you know, that's a very wonderful thing to do. But, you know, ultimately, we're not only just wanting to be aware of the entire body as a unified field of tactile uh, feel, feeling presence. We're wanting to let go of the profound holding, tensing, bracing that we encounter when we do actually give ourselves permission to feel what's going on, uh, or what's going on, you know, through the body. And this again is where we get into this culmination. Uh, instruction to breathe through the whole body and very simply, and we can talk about this in more detail if you like, but very simply, to breathe through the whole body, two things are necessary. One, we do. We have to awaken the feeling presence of the entire body. Look, you know, most of us, you know, live uh, in, you know, what I call the, uh, the quality of consciousness that passes as normal in the world at large. There's nothing wrong with it. It's where we live. It's just very incomplete. And it's a very disembodied consciousness where for the mo most part, we are lost in thought and out of touch, oblivious with the feeling presence. So the first thing we need to do is to awaken uh, body, awaken body as actual palpable feeling presence, because how could we possibly breathe through the whole body if we're not even able to feel it? And then the second part of this, and this is arguably the most radical thing that I'm bringing to the uh, Buddhist conversation in the cushion, is this uh, understanding that in a completely relaxed body, and ultimately that's what we're wanting to do with these practices. We're wanting to relax so deeply that we start letting go of some of the unnecessary tensions in the body, the contractive ruts and patterns in the mind. Now, to, for that to happen, for that kind of extraordinary relaxation to occur, as breath makes, as we breathe in, ah, it's it's almost like a wave moving through a body of water. Motion, transmitted motion, can start occurring through the entire body at every joint in the body. And that can go from, you know, way down through the uh, feet, up, uh, you know, through the top of the head. And if these kinds of altogether natural, amoeba-like, uh, spontaneous uh, motions aren't occurring, we are bracing ourselves, we're holding, and there's no relaxation. 
And, you know, when, when we forfeit the relaxation, we stay stuck within the dimension of the mind that the practices are trying to show us that's only your surface. Let's go deeper. It's better down deeper. Interesting. I mean, it's a very advanced conversation. I, I don't feel like this is a, a beginner conversation, but um, I'm, I'm curious to know how, I mean, do you feel like transcendental meditation is somehow more beneficial or, I mean, I know your, your work is more about breath work and it seems like, I mean, Time Magazine did a piece on just meditation it's interesting how it's kind of permeating into western right. culture yeah very and, much so but when i hear about it i don't really hear about breath work again i i usually hear about just you know tm or just kind of meditating i mean so how important right. is is posture and would you say would you say that your your work is more of a breath meditation or is it and what is it yeah, well, it's, it's definitely breath and body, uh, but but let you know, let me backtrack. You know, it really depends. You know what you're doing. If you're doing some something like TM or some of the Vedic meditations, very traditional. You know, here in the West, 20 minutes in the morning, uh, 20 minutes in uh, the afternoon. Honestly, I don't think for that short period of time, posture is that critical. Uh, and even just uh, you know sitting back in a comfortable chair is absolutely fine. It's important to remember that this whole wave of information and instruction that's coming from India, from Asia, from uh, you know some of the Indian circles, from the Buddhist circles, it's really really new over here in the West and is definitely starting to make inroads primarily through the mindfulness uh, movement and that would be uh, you know observing breath. What uh, what I'm interested in is people exploring the upright sitting posture. So it's it's not just breath, it's breath and body. And what I'm getting at is that this upright sitting posture, whether you're sitting cross-legged uh, on a, a, a mat on the floor with your buttocks raised a little higher or on a kneeling bench or in a chair, if you enter into this posture and, you know, frankly, go into retreat where, you know, perhaps you're exploring sitting practices for anywhere from, you know, 8 to 12 hours a day. Uh, that's what I'm primarily interested in because that uh, mudra, if you want to call it that, of this sitting posture, to the degree that we are playing with upright balance, okay, that we're uh, so that the body can deeply relax and we're not bracing, that opens up or initiates a very, very deeply profound process of not just becoming more aware, not just of feeling better, but of actually transforming what you experience yourself to be. Now, that is, that's the culmination of the, uh, you know, the Buddhist path. And as you said, that no, this probably isn't necessarily, uh, you know, that, you know, basic uh, an understanding in the retreats that I teach. I do, I get some uh, people who, they're just, in a sense, starting out 
and they've perhaps heard what I'm doing and they perhaps have heard that maybe let's start out with these instructions because uh, they're going to form you know, a base of support that's really going to help you go deep in your practice. Mostly what I get are uh, you know, what we refer to as the old Buddhist dogs, you know, men, men and women who've been really, really engaged in very serious practice for uh, uh, sometimes for decades. And, uh, it, you know, it's interesting, uh, uh, you know, Xavier, often with them, uh, you know what I get, and I'm thinking of a woman in particular at a, uh, uh, a retreat uh, that I taught in Santa Fe, uh, you know, last spring. She'd been doing Zen practices for 30 years, and at the end of the retreat, she simply broke down, uh, and her expression was, why, why wasn't this taught to me? Uh, you know, 30 years ago, uh, you know, in, in some ways what I'm, you know, those are the people that I'm, uh, you know, primarily directing this to, people that really, really, really want to go to the depths of uh, what's in the very center of the center of their body and mind, because we just have perhaps some inkling or maybe it's blind luck or who knows that we're on this path that we know that there's something extraordinary in the very center of our centers and is worth uh you know doing what we need to do to access what would you say to someone who is has never meditated before and perhaps is suffering from stress anxiety i mean how how would you get this person to sit down and meditate you know I, I think that the basic mindfulness movement is probably going to be where most every Westerner is going to and should probably start. We can start calming our mind, relaxing the body. Uh, you know, the benefits of that are now, you know, quite well documented. What may come out of that for some people is that we realize, hey, this, you know, calming of the body and mind is great, but ooh, I'm... I'm realizing there's something more that this is exposing me to. At that point, you know, people want to perhaps get more serious, enter into, uh, you know, a retreat situation. There and you know, there's so many schools and uh, teachers out there. Uh, I would love to see people be able to go into sitting retreat where there's some instruction on how to sit comfortably, so you're not bracing. Uh, and in agony through the you know long hours of uh, you know of retreat, but basically that'll probably be the uh, progression for most of us here in the West as the Dharma is coming to our shores. So I I guess I'll just go back to my previous sure. statement. I mean the Institute for Embodiment Training you guys offer some workshops. I mean I'm looking at the website here right now and it looks pretty cool. I kind of want to come and, and hang out <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> you know, uh, over the years, I've done a fair bit of, uh, you know, mostly traveling and teaching. Yes, we do some things here. Uh, the Institute for Embodiment Training is uh, uh, a lovely phrase for my wife's and my uh, home. Uh, uh, you know, we do gatherings here. Uh, you know, occasionally they're, uh, they're residential gatherings. I would say mostly, though, at you know this point in my life, uh, 
Uh, I respond more to invitations to come and teach. And then the other thing I'll just leave you with, because uh, this is what our vision is right now. We're actually in the uh, process of moving. Uh, our home is for sale. Our destination is uh, Costa Rica. We're better to open into one's nature than in big nature. And what I'm, we're wanting to do there is to establish a small retreat cottage uh, on our property where people can come down and enter into intensive self-retreat, maybe for up to 21 days, for really, really, uh, you know, working with these practices. Maybe for an hour every morning, there will be instruction. Uh, every other afternoon, Part of my background with the somatics is that I was an early student of Ida Rolfs, and I bring Rolfers into the retreats that uh, that I teach to help uh, supporting finding that posture of meditation. Uh, you know, maybe every second or third day in the afternoon, I'll do a hands-on session with the people. My wife is a very, very gifted uh, dream worker. Dreams get... Uh, wildly, wildly uh, sparked and kindled during retreat. Every other afternoon, she can work with those people. But that is probably, that's the next phase of the Institute for Embodiment Training, what we'll be doing. Very interesting, sir. Well, Will, I, I really appreciate your time. Is there a website where people can go to find your work? Yes, the website is embodiment.net. Embodiment is E M B O D I M E N T. Uh, dot net and uh, you know you find the different practices that we explore. There's always a uh, you know a schedule of you know of upcoming uh, you know events or uh, or retreats. It's a, it's a nice little website. Thank you, sir. This is the Human Experience. My name is Xavier, and we are going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening.